one. What's going on? Everybody, you've got the card board coaches here with your boy, Coach Go. I'm still your friendly neighborhood cartel. He sure is. And we've got a guest with us today. We've got Josh from Hockey Cards Gong Show, the podcast that anyone who collects uh, hockey has been talking about over the course of the last few weeks. How are you doing, Josh? I'm doing great. Thanks, guys, for having me on. Happy to have you. So let's talk a little bit about the inception of the Hockey Cards Gong Show podcast, because you know, I feel like just a few weeks ago, I was following an account with, you know, maybe 200 followers uh, on Instagram and putting out really good content. We were mentioning you on the podcast a few times. Uh, so, I mean, you know, first of all, I'm super excited to have you and thanks for coming. Um, but, you know, it was something unlike we have seen yet for the hockey card space. And that was, you know, data. It was metrics. It was someone putting the time and effort into tracking high profile sales and sometimes not so high profile, but just giving information. So let's talk about your podcast. Uh, you know, drop that plug, give everyone an excuse to, to hit that follow button for you. Well, I appreciate that. And uh, thank you for the kind words. Uh, I'm a big fan of both you guys as well and really enjoy your content too. So wanted to definitely start there. Our podcast is Hockey Cards Gong Show. It is honestly a total happy accident. Uh, it, my co-host Troy and I have been collecting, well, we collected as kids, as most did, and then found the hobby again a few years ago during the pandemic when we were on lockdown and there wasn't really much to do. And just started collecting and found out that as we were both data guys, and so we would research cards or trends and be texting back and forth multiple times a day. And so about two and a half, three months ago, we were just talking about some, I can't remember what card it was, uh, on a, I think I was driving home from work or something like that one night. And I just asked Troy, I said, hey, have you ever wanted to try a hockey cards podcast? And he paused for a second and said, sure. And so we went and bought microphones and within a few days, put up a podcast, had zero expectation, uh, created some social media accounts and just started posting. And really what we try to do is, you know, we're not the world's most for or the world's foremost experts about hockey cards. We just post stuff that we were looking up and talking about with each other every day anyways, and try to present it in a compelling way. And I think that's uh, important, you know, like at no point, you know, in consuming your content, do I feel like you're telling people that you have all the answers or it's every time I stumble upon your content, it's like, this is actually interesting because it is interesting. You know, it'll be like, uh, you know, this card is at this and this is with the all time high. And then you start thinking and you're like, oh, what other cards are, you know, in line with this? And and then you might go to the next slide. And I, ironically enough, the similar player with similar stats. And I'm like, these guys just did the work that I was thinking, you know, like it's like it's wonderful. So. Yeah, no, what we're we definitely like I said, there wasn't much of a plan yeah. when we started our podcast, but we did talk about a few things. And the first was we didn't want to be like pump and dump influencers. Yes. We're both terrified of the idea of, for me saying, Hey, you should go buy a Jack Hughes future watch auto right now, because I guarantee it's going to go up 300% in the yeah. next four months. And then you lose a ton of money. I don't, I'm not smart enough to give that advice in the first place. And uh, you know, we just, that, that's not who we want to be at all. What our goal is, is to present the information and in, just like you were talking about in a way that hopefully gets people to think and to draw your own conclusions from, from the data. Um, and, and, you know, and hopefully educate and inform a little bit as to, uh, to give you a quick example, one of the things we're working on right now is sort of what happens in the off season right? Prices right. go down. We just published a post today that showed for the 2020 young guns and also the 2019, uh, what happened, what their price was at the end of the season. So right around June 15th, what it was at the start of the season on October 15th and where it fell to 
in the middle there and, and how quickly it rebounded. Yeah. And our hope is, is so that number one, people don't freak out over the next six weeks when you see a huge decrease in value for some of your collection because it's going to happen. Yeah. And then the flip side of that is if there's anyone you've really wanted to buy and they felt that that Adam Fox Young Guns you've really wanted has felt too expensive over the last few months, it's going to get a heck of a lot cheaper in the next six weeks. So be ready and, and it should be a good opportunity to buy. So, so clearly a key there is the fact that we are dealing with a lot of new entrants into the hobby. And that's something I like uh, about the way that you're presenting things. So seasoned collectors might be aware of the drop in sure. the off season. Yeah. Although what you guys are doing is you're literally putting the numbers on the paper, so to speak, because you know, everyone's speaking generically, there's a drop in the off season. Exactly. We know that. Yeah. There's going to be a buildup towards the season. And I'm sure you guys will cover that, but these new entrants, it's just, as you said, you know, kind of averting any sort of panic and getting them used to that concept and showing them the hard numbers. Um, and I like the fact that you guys are always keeping track of the, the, the recent, the relevant high, uh, and then previously what you said, you're not putting a projection on it. So that keeps you safe from any of that, any of those scenarios where people are talking about you pumping a card or trying to hype a product. Did you think, so I have a two pronged question, Josh, in terms of the fact that, um, were you aware that there was kind of an opening in the hockey sector for something like this? Um, I mean, there may be other pages that, that do this sort of thing, but you know, like Brendan and I weren't aware of any prominent ones. So was this again, wholly just because you and Troy are data guys, you wanted to do this. Was it a timing thing? Was it like, yeah, there is an opening here that, that, that needs to be kind of fulfilled. And then in terms of the timing, when you think of some of these analytic sites, these data sites, like, like, uh, you know, the popular ones like CL, yep. just their abbreviation, uh, without giving them too much, uh, uh, publicity. Um, they were they they were beginning and, and kind of getting their prime time during the prime time of this hobby boom. You guys are starting out, your your page seemed to surface past that boom. That's something I find really interesting as well because it's a more realistic look yep. at card performance based on player performance, based on collecting, based on mm -hmm. the, the hobby. So you think it was did, did did that timing have anything to do with it? Did you guys stop and say, whoa, we're at a kind of a weird pivotal point uh, where we're kind of getting past this? pandemic boom era no uh when i say there was no plan there was no plan there was no plan so like you know it, it's like i feel like you asked really great questions that assume that we were a little more strategic than we actually were and so there was an i wouldn't say there was an overt plan but troy and i both like podcasts and we both listen to a lot of podcasts we listen to a fair amount of sports related podcasts and i think inherently we knew there wasn't a lot out there yeah. for hockey. Yeah. Uh, and one of the amazing things about how cr crazy this last three months have been for us is we definitely cartel learned that after a matter of a couple of weeks where we were having people messaging us saying, thank you, finally some hockey content. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't even really looked into deeply at that point as to who else was out there producing content. Yeah. So I definitely learned really quickly that there is a lack of content. And one of the things too, that I didn't get to is I believe really strongly that with one caveat that the hockey market is going to grow a lot over the next few years. And my caveat is if the NFL can get their crap together and market their amazing group of young players in the way that they should if they're gonna you know they've been off of national tv here in the u.s for 15 years i say all the time you had to go to the outdoor turkey hunting channel to watch an nhl game here yeah yeah and by getting back on national tv there's this um, tremendous group of young players now is the time for them to it's not going to ever be as big as basketball or yeah football or baseball, but uh, I really, really believe that the, the sport and the card market is primed to grow. If you look at the, if you look at the last few, 
like MVPs of, of the NHL, you know, they've like 25 and under dude. Like we're talking like Austin Matthews, Connor McDavid. We just had Kale McCarr at what 22 years old, uh, take home with the con Smythe. Right. Like, so I completely agree with you. There has, we, I don't know if you've ever had a, a crop of young players that had this like generational type talent that we have right now mm-hmm. with this level of social media, you know, on, under these pretenses in the card market, like it, it is definitely primed. Um, and we can touch it on like, you know, how some of the players card values these days stack up to, you know, some greats and uh, which I actually really want to get into, but oh, cartel, what were you going to say? I was going to mention, I don't know if you guys noticed, but you know, there were a lot of posts regarding the national, which is wrapping up today as we're recording this. Yep. Uh, mentioning, couple were kind of in a surprise mode where, I mean, in the, in the lead up to the national, we've heard a lot about hockey gaining a little bit of steam. Um, Brendan and I noticed certainly at the Toronto expo, an increased interest for some of these American companies that were coming in and poking around and checking out cup rookie cards, talking about McDavid and Matthews. But the posts I was seeing was mentioning, you know, hockey was existing below F1 and soccer at the national is a little bit disheartening given what we were hearing right but it's it 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 does boil i guess that's the conversation what is it going to take um particularly in the american market to to build the the hockey hobby and the sport itself i don't it's a good question i don't think that being under those two is like necessarily a bad thing because i think those two are also rapidly growing so even like you know, the fact that it was, if it's still on notice below those two, like you got to think about the amount of money that's put into uh, hockey or sorry, soccer and F1, right? Like those sports mm-hmm. in general, they're very pricey sports, period, right. to go watch to, uh, you know, like high value transfers in soccer. We're talking right. about billions and billions of dollars. F1 is, you know, it's the rich, lavish, like these cars are worth millions upon millions of dollars. Right. And hockey is very much like a blue collar sport. Right. So um, having a presence just Arguable. below those two. What? No, Somewhat I agree. Arguable. I, I, Arguable. I, you're right. Like you're right. You're right. right. You're right. Uh, but at, at least in terms of like what the, the teams are willing to spend, even. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it's right. we're talking about a, 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 the only league with a salary cap. Like right. that, they, that, that is another thing, right? Well, there's no super teams in hockey. Every team is pretty much competitive. Like, I mean, we could argue super teams and how people manipulate the cap and all that other jazz. But at the end of the day, um, there's just not as much hot money in hockey as there is in those other, other sports. Right. So, um, but I do think that I've seen more hockey posts. And of course, like you and I are not, at the national and neither is Josh, but I, I saw even during the national people posting that they had hockey cards for sale and people at the national posting, um, you know, high value Crosby's and Ovechkin's. And I think maybe the combination of those high octane young stars like McCarr, like Matthews, like McDavid, as well as those still performing legends um, like Crosby, like Ovechkin and Ovechkin specifically, who's chasing Gretzky's goal record. I think that could be, you know, a wonderful concoction in terms of like propelling hockey forward. I think that's a big deal to get, uh, pressure on Gretzky cards and to get other cards into that top rung. That's why the recent McDavid sale, I thought was such a significant sale, because if you looked at the highest selling hockey cards to date, it was just alternating between uh, OPT and Topps Gretzky rookies, almost right. entirely in the top 10. And so getting that McDavid, the cup into that, you know, I'll call it like the big boy club for sports card prices yep. is will yep. raise the ceiling for the Crosby's and Matthews and Ovechkin's. And I looked into it a couple weeks ago, pretty, I went pretty far down the rabbit hole and it seems like an inevitability that Ovechkin will break Gretzky's record. And at that point, I would expect his prices will go up significantly. I, I agree. It's not very often that you have someone who's willing to take over a major category in a sport 
Do you know what I mean? Because like uh, specifically in hockey where no one thought that, that Gretzky would ever be touched. I mean, his points will still never be touched. And like, you can quote me on this like 50 years from now, you know, but like, unless they change the rules of the game, I don't think his, his, his points record ever gets touched. Yeah. But uh, the fact that someone's within reach for the goals is, is massive. Right. And this is something that, that cartel you and I were talking about at last year's uh, expo. It was one of my biggest plays at last year's expo. I was absolutely stacking Ovechkin. And, uh, and I still, you know, like the guy is, he's, he just doesn't miss games, you know? And so you add in like the fact that he doesn't miss games, he's extremely durable. Um, and it's just not a matter of if it's when, right. And everyone, everyone was stacking at that expo in particular. And Josh, I'm sure, you know, what we're talking about the expo is kind of our national. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Jeff Wilson was uh, wheeling and dealing for Ovechkin uh, future watch autos uh, at, at that really? show. Yeah. We're uh, hoping to go in November. Oh, right on. Excellent. Um, I mean, that's, it's hockey card Mecca. And uh, if you're someone like the great curator, it's like a nightmare, but for everyone else, it's a dream come true. Um, so, you know, as it relates to the F1 soccer comment, it's that hockey, like the other big three sports is what has been so consistently produced. Right. And if yeah. any, and so for the, for the, for your gong show feed, you know, that's what creates, you know, you could create some very consistent look, looks back. I like your team focuses as you go team by team and, and look at uh, the legends. You guys have that consistency of all those releases going back to the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. I don't know if you guys go that far back, but you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, you, we go. Look, we go back yeah, as far yeah. as we need to. You can take a look at the legends going all the way back. You can take a look at card performance. We have over a decade, uh, two decades of Gretzky cards to look at. You got to wonder almost though, it was, maybe it was detrimental to the sport, Gretzky's dominance. And then that little bit of Lemieux kind of stepping in as well with so much focus there. And then again, you had that going on with Ovechkin and Crosby. We could potentially have an era where there's a little, it's a little bit more spread out. I think that's actually a good thing potentially for the hobby and for fans in general to spread out the love amongst multiple young stars and that sort of thing. Uh, and, 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 and get collectors going in the States. What is it that you guys, what do you, what do you find people are collecting teams? Are, are they collecting individuals? Is the attraction just to the big marquee players like McDavid and Matthews? Yeah, I don't know if I have the perfect answer to that question, but I do have some observations. And uh, Troy and I both collect all sports as well. You know, we're just in Minnesota. And so yeah. uh, him and I, our families have had wild season tickets for many years and have always followed the game and our kids play hockey. So it's something that we've been interested in. And so when we started a few months ago and did this real deep dive into hockey, one of the things that stood out to me is that hockey seems to be much more collector driven than the other sports. It's not as flipping or investment driven. And so yeah, I think there's don't mind like, like really getting into that and clarifying what you mean, because you do hear this, you hear that, yeah, general statement all the time. Hockey card collectors are passionate. They're very collector oriented. Right? Yeah, well, you know, you'll just see um, Marty Turco Instagram pages where there's a guy has 600 Marty Turco cards, which is amazing and beautiful. And it was it was a big challenge to Troy and I to try initially, and, and we thought a lot about. Um, how we have a voice in such a collector driven market, because the problem I always have with collecting is there's no right or wrong answer. Yep. If you love um, Kevin Fiala and he's your favorite player, what is it? What do you care if his values go up other than maybe wanting to be a smart buyer or yeah. smart, um, you know, or if you love Hundo P inserts and maybe the, 98% of people hate them. It doesn't make you wrong. It's awesome. It, it, it's actually amazing because they're super cheap and you can get any card you want for peanuts. Yeah. Right. At that point. And so, you know, th that's one of the things that we constantly struggle with is how do we appeal to, you know, we don't want to come. We we're definitely data people, but I don't want to, and maybe you guys can give me your, it's, I live in my own world, but I don't want to come off as purely trying to be like a flipper type of content producer. You know, our goal is to give every bit of, you know, every type of collector, whether you flip or invest, or you just collect 
good information that helps you be more successful at however you want to participate in the hobby. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's like a lot, it's, there's a lot of valuable stuff right away once you're looking at every, every single post, because it, let's say you're, let's say like the Mike Medano market, which is, has had its ups and downs, like all of those types of cards through the, the boom uh, that we recently saw. If you're aware of what the, the high dollar value is and what it is at right now, you can kind of have a more informed opinion on whether you want to sure. finally pick that card up, whether He's you're picking up for Dano or for the set, because I know yeah. set builders of the 9091 Premier, for example. So that's a great example. And one of the things that I would, I have a few goals to have hopefully an impact in some sort of small way. And one of my personal pet projects is there's a definitive junk wax bias in early 90s hockey, right? Where people, everyone assumes if there is a Mike Madano rookie that the population is 42 million right. of, of that card. But if you go in and look at the pop counts of some of these cards, they're like 200. Yeah. And, and, and his cards were $50 and Austin Matthews has a pop of 2,500 in PSA and bigger in BGS. And he's, his values you know, anywhere from fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars. It just it doesn't make sense to me. We're going there. I'm so excited. This is exactly what I was talking about because it's true, right? Like, and even if we look at guys like uh, Kirill, right? Like, no disrespect. I know that you're uh, the Minnesota Wild fan. He's our boy. He's unreal. You know, he's a great player. But if you look at how how guys like Kirill stack up, uh, I mean, even to like Ilya Kovalchuk, you know, and like you're like, I could get a Kovalchuk rookie right now for like ten bucks. Oh, ten bucks. Fifteen dollars. Do you know what I mean? Like I can, mm-hmm. and this is a guy that maybe not uh, a hall of famer, um, but you know, had his the issues traveling between Russia and, um, and there's just so many examples uh, of great players in the nineties. Matt Sundin is a diehard for Leafs fans where, yep. you know, Matt Sundin PSA 10 is probably 250, 300 uh, in terms of pop count uh, across maybe both. Like, and we're talking gems uh, across BGS, and PSA, and it's maybe an $80, $100 card, right? So um, I agree with you that the, the, you know, the pop counts are low on these. I think the issue is that uh, people don't know how many of them are out there. Uh, do you know what I mean? Like loose yeah. out there, right? How many boxes were produced? Um, and so that puts it in jeopardy of like a long-term buy. That being said, I mean, even if they are out there, they still need to create a gem and we know how difficult stuff like that is. So uh, it's, it's a very interesting conversation. I found myself when prices started to dip on a lot of things, um, I started to gravitate towards collecting players that I personally watched play growing up and that I, I thought would be expensive cards, like cards that I, you know, Jerome McGinley's and, yeah, Vinny Lacavaliers and Daniel Sedin's and uh, you know, and then even even before that, uh, and just finding these, and uh, every now and then you'll find an expensive one like Pavel Datsuk is expensive. You know what I mean? Sure. Like Pavel Datsuk is expensive, but and then you start wondering to yourself like, why aren't all these other guys expensive too? Then, um, and it really, 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 I think we have a unique experience as hockey card collectors uh, because we have you know, an entire era that's basically been thrown in the trash, not, not like physically, but at least dollar wise, which means that you can own players of players of, of people that you idolize growing up or watched play and, and for relatively cheap, to be honest. I think the market though, has a way of finding I agree. those. And eventually, you know, I look at like basketball when there was 20,000 Luka Doncic rookies that all of a sudden nineties inserts became really really popular so i i think eventually there's an opportunity to to get get back to that um but yeah and, and honestly you know going back really quick to the opportunity for hockey you mentioned Kaprizov. to me not great from a collector's perspective but the fact that his young guns has been one of the most submitted cards to psa in yeah. the last four months who would have ever thought that that you'd have a hot other than Wayne Gretzky? Yep. That you would have a hockey card that's, you know, so the pop counts are going to be ultimately pretty high yep. there, which I think has hurt his value in yep. the short term. And, and, and you know, your point about the assumption that 
there's so many of these vintage cards. And, and this is one of the things that we've been, especially from a social media perspective, trying to, you have very limited space to communicate your message and story. Yeah. But code there is, you know, when you look at a Madonna, we can look at, okay, here's the, how many have been submitted. Here's the gem rate. All that data is out there. So if there's a, a card that has a population of 300 or a PSA 10 and 23,000 have been submitted. Yes. I think it's a pretty safe assumption that that pop count isn't going to go up by a factor of five anytime soon. It's kind of like the premier Yager. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I liked that you, that post on the, the gem rate, because that's, that's relevant. That's important. Um, I, I was messing around with some, uh, data points when I first got on IG, uh, dragged kicking and screaming on social media. Um, when I, uh, I posted what I used to call the, the low tech look, because I would draw out a graph with my bare hands and a pen. Okay. And I was letting people know about the disparities between, for example, the Canadian and American score releases of Brodeur and Lindros and the surprising differences in gem rates and that sort of thing because again you can have a ton of those out there but what people should know that they'll find useful is that not every score uh american brodeur lindros is going to be gem mint in fact very few of them will be uh given given the way they were produced the way they come out of packs etc so that's good information as well gem rates especially again for new entrants but the thing i was going to mention about what what brendan uh was talking about was there's always going to be recency bias. Yeah. But we're seeing recency bias on another level when there's so many new entrants. Yes. The new entrants are obviously going to gravitate. Like we, even as collectors, we're going to gravitate to the hot new thing. New entrants don't have all of that information, but I am seeing people now asking about Mike Bossy cards. I am seeing yeah. people asking about, you know, um, just working their way up the, through the legends and learning more about the sport. That's what you got to hope for. You don't want someone to just start entering the hockey market and start grabbing Kaprizovs and, uh, you know, Zegras. Makar. Oh, yeah, getting getting into the history and looking at some of those other players, going back to the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, and maybe talking about the opportunities that exist there because people are figuring that out. It, that, that, there was, that was happening in basketball and football um, with baseball, right? Because uh-huh. hockey does have a rich history of a lot of interesting characters and players. I, I think, though, that that just might be maybe the natural collecting experience. I was going to say, right? That. There's yeah. you're going to be watching a game and you're going to see Trevor Zegras have a highlight real goal, and that's going to get you maybe interested in one of his hockey cards. And then you go, you progress from there. And, and to me, that brings up another reason why. I think there is a small advantage in hockey is I think it's the most easily understood sport to collect, right? Cause it, it really, if someone asked me about, well, how do I understand hockey card collecting? It's very simple to me. It's there's three cards of note for every player. There's their, you know, your entry level rookie card is your young guns, your premier uh, or your next level card would be the future watch auto. And then you have your rookie patch auto and the cup. Yeah. Where if you if you think about basketball or, you know, basketball is really confusing or football because there's a million brands. Yeah. And they're all they're all prisms. They're all blue hyper, all all these things. And it's really hard to understand. Well, what's the the the, what the market sees as the true rookie for a player where, like I said, to me, hockey is very simple, which is a good thing. I think that's a that's a struggle for like this for the '90s specifically because there there were a few sets in the '90s. Uh, like each player has a few you know types of of their rookie. I mean, obviously we like we've not we, but the hockey market has kind of decided which one is the true rookie and stuff like that. But it's it's not so cut and dry. It's not just like one across the board. It's not like just a young guns yeah. for like in the '90s, right? It's not just like a rookie autograph in the nineties, right? Once they started to simplify it, it made it very easy to collect. Like you said, uh, we're like, I can buy a future watch auto of, of McDavid or, or Crosby and still know that a future watch auto of Matthews is, is comparable. You know what I mean? It's the same level of rookie. It's the same. Um, it, it didn't go down or up from one set to another based on the other sets around it. 
And, well, and I think the brilliant part about, about the Future Watch Auto is the built-in scarcity. Yeah. Right. So the equivalent to the Future Watch Auto, it's not autograph. It, I don't know if you'd say like maybe like a silver prism where either could end up being 5,000 silver prisms someday of Luka Doncic or yep. some other Anthony yep. Edwards or basketball player that comes up. And so you always feel protected from an investment standpoint when you buy that Future Watch Auto because as the sport grows, it's still 999. Yep. Not to mention a lot of those are redemptions. Well, not a lot of them, but a good a good chunk of those are redemptions. And so, you know, we know the expired redemptions don't mean shit. So those 999 could easily be half of them if unredeemed. Yeah, sure. You, you hit the nail on the head there, too, with the 90s, because as far as the 80s goes, you got tops, no PG. Yes. yes. It's yeah. very simple to understand. Once Upper Deck implements Future Watch and Young Guns successfully, you have what Josh mentioned in terms of being able to see the tiers very clearly, which is probably why, I mean, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm just kind of having my own thoughts here as we're, as we're having the discussion, but that's probably why inserts became so popular in the nineties is it, it was so scattered. Yes. And there was no solid system in terms of what is this guy's most premium. The best example would be that year that we saw Kovalchuk and Heatley rookie cards, like, Oh, 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 one, Oh, one, Oh, two. So many sets. Where- there there's you know and they were playing around with the the autograph sps and playing around with the concept of a young gun um you know people were chasing danny heatley's black diamond rookie which was numbered tops chrome had a set two you know it was a bowman chrome two but again yeah and that was towards yeah end of the 90s going to the oos and getting the concept of making a premium rookie yes that was uh but, you know, guys, in terms of the fact that, that, that the, the, the hobby itself is easy to follow in that sense with the three major rookie cards and that sort of thing, it then falls on the sport itself and the presentation of the sport to yes. keep people interested. What I'm kind of saying is like, you know, people are going to start sniffing around. They, they got to stick around. I don't know if you guys have heard this before, but the one, the frustrating one that I hear all the time is I can't follow the puck on the screen. Really? You know, which, which led to the... Oh, wow. Which led to Fox, you know, using that the 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 the, the puck on the screen with the, the graphic that had yeah. the tail on it. Yeah. You know, I I remember that not fondly, but I remember it. You know, where where they were pushing to try to help with that. I hear that a lot. Do people say that in the states still, Josh? Are you no, I it, to me, puck? yeah, but he's in I, he's in a hockey state though. <laughs> yeah, I'm in, I'm in a, yeah, I'm in a hockey state. The, the I think TVs have gotten so much better. Yeah. Now that we're at 4K and 8K, my hope is cartel <laughs> that that goes away. The two biggest problems, and one of them I can speak from with great personal experience. And the first one is we already mentioned. It's been really hard to watch games here in the U.S. And so by getting the games on TNT and putting together, you know, they're trying to try to do like the inside the NBA type crew with Gretzky and Bissonette and others. And then they had the ESPN uh, as I ultimately, I think that made it a little confusing because you never knew where a game would be, but yeah. it's still way better than it had been. The biggest problem, and I don't know how much of the league faces, but like as a Minnesota fan, because of the conference that we're in, so many of our games start at 9 30, 10 o'clock at night, our time. And, and how does a kid watch a wild game when the game starts way past their bedtime as an adult, it's hard to stay up for much more than the first period. And so the NHL has just never seemed to understand that, you know, make your games readily and easily accessible and promote the personalities of your players and create stars. And that will create interest in the game. Yeah, I think the NHL has been so very team-driven, which there's beautiful things about that. Yeah, And there's things I appreciate about that. But the I think the reality is when you look at all of the other professional sports leagues, they've been most successful promoting people. You go back to cartel your comment about F1. That's all F1 is, is promoting personalities. Right. And I'm yeah. not a big soccer guy, but it seems like soccer is very similar in that regard too. Very similar as well. They're and it's like, like it's almost like hockey pushed against that for a long while. I mean, it's gate kept. It's gate kept. You know, we, like we it's... have that. You know, um, you know, regardless of what you might think of Don Cherry overall. I mean, because you know, for Brendan and I growing up with the guy, there are some positive feelings. But you know, th- this was a guy who would criticize, for example, most celebrations or the surge, yeah. Yeah. which was a big deal a couple of years back. That should have been celebrated. That should have been emphasized. That should have been. I mean, that was that was good stuff. 
And even with, even with individual personalities, they'd kind of shut down any sort of individuality and make it a bad thing. If Ovechkin was calming down the burning stick, you know, whereas that's creates superstars, right? Absolutely. Very analogous to baseball to me. Those are the hockey baseball are the two sports that are most self-policing. Yes. And, you know, and now I think like Bryce Harper has actually uh, done a great job through his career of really just not caring about and saying, I don't throw the ball at me. I'm going to be who I am. I'm going to let my personality shine, whether you love him or hate him. It doesn't matter. I think it's been, it's helped let personality shine where hockey is still that very, you know, um, don't celebrate too much or don't, or otherwise you're going to get punched in the face. Yes. Right? You get your, head, your head taken off. Right. I think in baseball is getting marginally better um, because there used to be unwritten rules about running up the score. And, and now you see more often than not, if a team's getting crushed, they will put like a, a position player in, you know, they just kind of accept yeah. that like, you're going to be swinging. And like, if you hit a home run, like whatever, you know what I mean? Like the game is over. Meanwhile, like two, three years ago, like there would be scraps. If, if it was like eight, nine, nothing in the seventh inning and you were swinging, like there would be scraps. And I think that they're getting less and less um, offended by shit like this. Um, and as they should, because, you know, if you, if you watch baseball, you see that one inning you can put up. I mean, I think the, the Blue Jays put up 12 runs in an inning, not, like not too long ago. Right. So like literally anything's yeah. possible. It's not time based. It's a number of outs. And um, as a result of that, and also like people want to see runs. I, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've been to, I've brought someone to a, a, a baseball game and it, it's like zero, zero. And although I can appreciate that because I, you know, I'm appreciating the counts and the, the, the pitch selection um, and just watching two guys go to work. I mean, as a spectator, they're like, this is boring as shit. You know what I mean? There's a subtle change too, that I think is worth mentioning. And again, using baseball as an analogy to hockey and, you know, we, I don't know how old you are, but we're probably all similar in, in age. And we grew up in the era where if you were on the Yankees, you couldn't have facial hair. Yeah. Right. Or, yeah. <laughs> um, and now you look at, and it doesn't work on me, but you look at just the aesthetic or the look of a Vlad Jr. or Tatis or Acuna to a 12 year old boy, those guys must look so cool. Yeah, right. Absolutely. And baseball is allowing them to let their personalities out jazz a little too. bit. Jazz Chisholm. Oh yeah. 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 There's tons of yeah. these, these young players where, uh, and, and we kind of poke fun, but that's part of why I kind of, I'm a big fan of Matthew's mustache a little bit. Yeah. Right. Because, you know, it's like, all right, you know, here's a guy who's, you know, outside the playoff beard that you yeah. see in hockey, here's a guy that's showing a little flair or personality. And I think the more the NHL does to not only allow that to come out, but to promote it. And I think the players need to understand that the culture, which again, I, I understand that the, I see the good in it too, but they're holding themselves back. Yeah. And they're yeah. costing themselves money by having this, very uniformed it's more you can't you know nobody it's about the team you can't stand above the team everyone wears the same stuff going to the rink you know I, what i mean like it's- i do see like whoever's in charge of the marketing i don't know these deep details behind the scenes but this past all-star game for example when they do finally let loose a little bit at the all-star game they really almost like overdid it in a cringy fashion in my opinion because I want to see the I want to see the, the 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 breakaway challenge or whatever they did, which ended up turning into a complete debacle with props and uh, sure you know, magicians and uh, throwing throwing stuff at people. I, you know, it's one thing the the Zegers being blindfolded that's great, but like I didn't actually get to see. I, I can't remember. Do you guys? Can you even recall who won that competition because it got so no. long? I think it was I think it was Alex Petrangelo, bro. Uh, yeah, they convoluted because, because he's a Vegas knight. Yeah, but it got so like... convoluted and kind of, um, you know, pre-planned. Unlike the the baseball home run derby, right? So I I I, I wasn't a big fan of that. I wasn't a big fan of the, the 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 kid that they chose to represent the NHL on social media. They just don't seem to have the right ideas. Well, a lot of times it's the subtle yeah. things. Like to me, and I'll be interested to get your guys's 
uh, input on this because it, this could be a total Minnesota centric perspective, but the most indelible image of the all-star game was Kaprizov wearing Ovi's Jersey. Yeah. Right. That was yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah, right. It's it such that a great tribute. And, and it's like those little things is what the NHL need. You're right. Not to have, you know, somebody jumping through rings of fire. Right. I think going to the, yeah. going to the goal. And, and that, that, that Vegas style card game uh, I, shooting for accuracy, just keep it, keep it the sharpshooters on the ice shooting for accuracy. I think there and was, there was off that amazing skill. I think there was two things. I think it was the fact that it was in Vegas. And so Vegas felt like they had to put on a show much they've right. done for their entire franchise and look what they yeah. are now. Um, Good point. And yeah. uh, I mean, I, if you look at the players that they've traded and what they've received in return, it's an absolute joke. Um, however, there's that. And there's also the fact that like, you know, once you start to say, okay, we're going to let loose a little bit. Um, you know, we're just going to let people do their thing. You almost want to go in the complete opposite direction. You're like, we have to make up for the fact that like we've had no personality for the last 30 years. You know, like we haven't had a personality since Yarmir Yager was in this league. Like there, there isn't even a quotable person in the NHL. I mean, there is, was, but like, you know what a, I mean? Like, was it a couple of years ago? Saban did the, uh, the, the Yager tribute with the, the mullet. I think yeah. it was a couple of years ago. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but that you know, good. like this, this, this league is, is slowly, letting up the reins. And as a result of that, they just kind of don't know how to react. I think. Well, you had Kachuk talking crap about the lightning and uh, you know, probably pretty sad. I imagine if you're a a flames fan right now, but the, the Johnny hockey exit and, you know, it seems like that they weren't real keen on remaining in Calgary. And, and so well, that probably hurts from their perspective. It's this type of stuff that's good for the league because now the the Panthers and Calgary game and the, the Lightning and yeah. Panthers games, there's going to be a little extra juice there next right. year. In markets that need it too. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you can also make a, a point about, about the polite cultures of the countries that enjoy hockey the most. I think there's something at play there as well in terms of the overall personalities, but the younger guys I see breaking through that a little bit the past few years, whether they're Mm -hmm. coming from the Czech Republic or Russia or Canada, obviously I understand that there's a lot of American players and whatnot, but there are some of these European um, places where I'm, I'm making a huge generalization here, but it's a bit more of a polite society that doesn't really emphasize the individual being bombastic or or uh you know glamorous in that sense i think that's the culture um, of hockey you're getting and that's, uh, yeah. that's the yeah. crux of the problem is how do you that. yeah how do you keep the good parts about that right while enabling the game to grow by letting the by really putting the spotlight on individuals because there's it's almost contradictory in some regards right absolutely Let's talk a little I've bit got, about, oh, what? I think uh, say you're probably, probably going to bring up what you might be bringing up right now. I was going to say, let's talk a little bit about PC, but you can go for it. Well, I was going to say, let's talk a little bit of the data, then then, then we can talk PC. But in it. terms of the data that's being thrown out there, so Josh, you're going through stuff. Uh, you're, you're going through the, 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 the numbers and the figures that Brendan and I might be generally aware of, but not as deeply or specifically. Um, what's some of the stuff that you have found most, I don't know, surprising or interesting in terms of some of these numbers that you've been crunching? Um, like, you know, the, 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 the general conversations between collectors are going to be things like, as I mentioned, the disparity between the fact that young guns values, particularly slab start to come dangerously close to future watch autograph numbers, which are far more limited, far more interesting, have autographs on them. Uh, you know, the cup rookie cards relative to the other big cards in other markets. But what, what do you find most interesting, most surprising, most significant? I know that's a very general kind of question. No, it's, but- a, it's, a, it's a great question. And I'm just, it, to me, what's been most surprising, and I'm pretty sure this is not hockey specific, is the crazy weird relationship between raw and graded cards now. Okay. Where we're seeing 
some raw cards that are selling multiple cases that are selling for more than PSA nines. Yes. Yes. And it's like, how is this possible? Yes. I've been talking about this for a while. BGS nine is like way lower. You know what I mean? It's like, if you have like a, a raw card, it's a BGS nine. You're like, this is, I've lost money here on the raw. It, it, so does, that, does that just come down to the concept that people would rather have it be a mystery as to what this grade might be versus having it certified as being less than gem mint? I think so. No, they, they no? assume every card's a PSA 10 that's raw. Yeah. And, and so, and, and therefore any card that's not a PSA 10 becomes less than. Yeah. Right. And which is wild. It's, it's specifically in some issues. That's crazy. I mean, if we talk about some of the sets that that upper deck has been producing lately, I mean, like the quality control hasn't been fantastic. You know, it's not as bad as other sports for sure. I've seen Panini with their issues. And fortunately, there's like a not not a lot of instances where you could be like this hockey card is extremely off center, you know, because like in most cases, we're not dealing with borders. Um, however, like it, it is. You know, we talk about Zegris and I mean Laffy last year. Like those, those were not easy gems. They were, if you go and even if you go look at the pop reports, they are not easy gems. So to assume series that, one this year, gem rates are super low. Yeah, and so to assume that something raw will gem is is just is a bit it's ignorant. You know, I almost wonder though too if people are worried about print run with the grow in the growth of sports card collecting in general, in that if I don't have a 10, like anything less than a 10 in the, you know, not knowing how many Kaprizov young guns exist. You know, it could be, I can get that that would be a scary proposition. And so I don't, I'm not going to invest in that. In a world with the, the sheer number of McDavid young guns that are out there, you do probably want to, you know, grab hold of one that is in the best shape possible, given that there are so many. But you got to believe that the, they've printed way more of recent product than they they printed of McDavid. Uh, I don't know about way more potentially, but like never never forget. I mean, they let the print runs roll on fifteen and sixteen. Um, you know, particularly but, because of McDavid. But just think about how much money there is in the market now versus there was in twenty fifteen. Sure. Yeah, like there wasn't a, like even if they let the print runs or printers run, there just wouldn't be the same demand that there is right now. Mm-hmm. you know what i mean like a lot of I people would be, i'd be curious to see that i know some people do breakdowns of tops baseball releases from year to year it's gonna we're gonna have to wait for like some of the dust to settle i think but it's um i just i can't i can't possibly think that that mcdavid's print run is going to be higher than uh cole caulfield you know i don't know i mean the, the reality is i mean how didn't didn't we talk about the the, the number of psa 10s that are actually out there or or if you look at the gem mints in psa and bgs we were surprised, actually, though. We, we thought it was we thought it was higher. But it was still like over 10,000. Was it not over 10,000? I mean, I think it might have been less, but it's still. Um, but my argument was still there are enough, you know, desks in, across Canada where people want to slap slap a slab on display. There are enough, all, there's enough demand. They're also not guaranteed in a box versus like what we talked about. And you mentioned quite frequently. We're like, if you if I'm ripping sure. any other product. Uh, like a, another sport, you know, you're only guaranteed six young guns and, and you're not guaranteed to get the young gun that you want in the box versus like most of the other sports. Like if you pull a Trevor Lawrence prism rookie, like, I mean, it's probably pretty common. Like I would say it's like one in every two boxes, three boxes max. Do you know what I mean? Like obviously like when we start talking parallels and stuff like that, but if there's only one version of this minus the exclusive and the high gloss, like it's not, you know, when you look at it that way, it's not the end of the world. You know what I mean? I kind of feel like too, Upper Deck's response has been, and this is just me making an inference, is they're producing more young guns. Now, not not quantity, but the if you look at like 2020 between Series 1, Series 2, and Extended, there's yes. a lot of you know guys that probably won't play much, you know, won't be in the league for more than a cup of coffee. That's true. Or, or something like that. And so it's going to get harder to hit the you guys have no idea how much series two i've opened from 2020 and i've never pulled a caprice off young guns really no i i can believe that i i, I remember i didn't hit my first caprice off for several boxes versus laffy especially in the early run yeah 
um, that's the thing. And then you're getting young guns and SP authentic, and then you're getting the extended young guns, right? It's there's there's and again, the, the, this goes brand. back. This it goes works. back to the future watch auto where that built-in scarcity that hockey has through the market accepting this as the mid-level rookie of, of record for, for a player will serve, I think, hockey very well as the you know fanatics takes more of a role in the sports cards world and does what we expect. I think all of us expect them to do is introduce the idea of sports card collecting to a lot more people. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're going to, you know, who knows how many silver prisms will be out there or, you know, young guns will have a similar issue, but by having that 999 future watch auto and the 299 cup oh. rookie patch auto, those are going to probably be really tough cards to get. And 249, let's not forget. I mean, even that is a low sure. number. Yeah. Not regular cup rookies. And they're inscribed and they're doing some kind of cool things yeah. with yeah. with uh, with those cards. Josh, have you found yourself in a situation where you have been able to kind of implement, like utilize this, this data knowledge and not necessarily to like, you know, not even in terms of like, a, like uh, some sort of a flip scenario, but for your own collection or just for your own, are there some examples you can give us of kind of utilizing the data in a real, real world scenario, real world setting? Yeah, it's been hard recently. And I'd be curious to get your guys' perspective on this. Um, as I've become more of a content creator in the last three months, it's been hard to be a collector. I, I spend most of my time trying to come up with ideas and you know, content storytelling that I think will help other collectors. But I, I do a lot of, uh, if you look at myself and Troy, Troy is much more of a collector. He loves Pecorine and will buy uh, any Pecorine auto you put in front of him. That's not really the way I like identifying that perfect time to get that, uh, whether that Adam Fox, Young Guns, and then uh, you know, at, at $75 and then selling it for $150 right. at the height of the, you know, that that's sort of how the, the charge, I, I do have some people that I collect and, and I do have cards that are in my PC, but uh, yeah, I, I try. Well, and one of the things that I've thought of too, is sort of a personal downfall of, you know, any potentially good data or ideas we put out there is I'm basically sharing with the world what like, I where, think where your thought process is. Yeah. 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 yeah so yeah. I'm inherently competing with myself yeah. just by, That's just absolutely. by putting that information out there. Yeah. Yeah. I felt that way when I was reporting on certain trends, I was basically coming out there and saying, look what I just figured out. And now you all know as well. And you also uh, feel bad because you like, let's say you bought it beforehand you know, and then there's probably an inherent, like even marginal jump, um, you know, based on the information that you put out there and other people researching that, that specific card or that specific player. And you're like, like now I can't like, even if this hits the threshold that I wanted it to, like, I, I actually cannot sell this. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, there's like, like there's a, you, you, you have to, you're like, I'm holding this thing, you know, I guess until the next one. Um, well, for the first time, actually yesterday, when I did a, a whole bunch of research for, I spent hours looking at data, trying to identify, like I mentioned earlier, where the dip is in the off season. And what I found is by looking at seven of the top rookies from 2020 and six of the top rookies from 2019, is that most of these cards lose 40 to 50% of their value between July 15th and uh, October 1st. And it was interesting that the 2020s happened earlier. They were typically in middle of July to middle of August where the 2019s were later, but then they dramatically increase around October 15th as the season gets back up. Yeah. And that's the first time I thought to myself, and I, I mentioned to Troy, it's like, man, if we didn't share this information, we could probably make a lot of money yeah. Yeah. over the next three months. But then I thought, you know, kind of our mission is to help people be smarter collectors. Yeah. And so we might as well just put this out there. I, even you putting that out there, though, is like people will read it and still not react. And that's kind of one of the like some people will. 
But one of the things that I find is most intriguing about the sports card space is the fact that, and this happens to me all the time, is where you'll see a trend, you know, whether based on a, a post or that your own personal findings, and you'll be like, I think it's going to go lower. Or, you know, I could use that money to buy this now, and then I'll put that money from this into something else, and then I'll just buy it later. Like, it's always a, I'll just buy it later. So, yeah, you know what I mean? Or, like, or, or prisoner of the moment, right? And I think that that's one of the, the in everybody, you know, it's a very emotive um, hobby, right? We, we, we're, we're very emotional people, we're emotionally driven. It's hard not to watch Kale McCarr win the Calder hoist a Stanley cup and then not want to go and buy a young guns where, you know, the, in the back of your mind, you're like one, two months, this card's going to be half, but also of in the what middle, it and, is and, right now. And, and like, to your point, like when you should be buying is between like July 15th and, you know, let's say September, um, not necessarily like financial advice in any capacity, but do your own research. Um, but it's just hard to spend money on those things. Cause you know, it's still so far away as well though. Right. Like, there's and they're like, going down. So it's a, you're, you're worried. Oh crap. What if I buy this card for $75 today and it's $55 next week. But what you should be trying to, if you like, I'm glad you said that, yeah. you know, I don't want, but if you look at the data and you're like, well, whether this card is $75 or $55, it's very likely to be a hundred dollars on October 15th, regardless. Yeah. So I'm still going to be, and why I like the off season so much is that there's other than some really bad news item of there's nothing a player can do now yeah. to hurt the value of through their, through their on ice performance of their card. So, you know, you can isolate and, and know for sure that it's just market you know hype drives this hobby like this is the floor almost you know what i mean like this is like or like within let's say 15 20 percent of like deep off season is the floor of this card do you know what i mean versus like during the season like the sky's the limit if if matthews scores 65 70 goals like all of a sudden everyone's like oh he's gonna go through the first round again then all of a sudden it breaks all-time highs and then let's say they get knocked out first round again it goes right back down to where it was and it just keeps that trajectory going right but it's a fickle hobby because he's a great example of, and one, you know, you talked about cartel. What surprised me, his value struggled this past year. He had, a, he has a, he had an amazing season. Right. And, and, and I thought about that. He it's won like, a heart trophy. He, he won a heart trophy. Won a heart trophy. He's in arguably the best market in the entire, you know, in the entire league. And wh- other than a little bit high pop counts and the team not, going super far in the playoffs. It just really shocked me that he, his value struggled. So I mean, we, we saw a $2,500 young gun though, for the first time ever. I mean, out of Matthews this year. Remember remember that cartel? Yeah. I I think like in general with his values bumped up so significantly during the boom and the previous season, I can only think that there may have been some like a correction malaise from it, having been at those high levels, potentially. That's a good point. Uh, but, but we certainly saw the future watch uh, in a gem slab. I particularly watch, like you watch what you have yeah. um, in the in a Beckett slab um, start to slowly creep up towards, you know, 10K. Bonkers for a bit. So, but if anything, that just may mean there's more potential there in the future. Yeah. Uh, Josh, I have a triple question for you because I can't focus. And then I just want to drag people into the lack of focus with me. No worries. Uh, do you have some potential favorites in the offseason? You don't have to give us your deep, your deep cuts potentially, but is there are, are there are there guys you're noticing are really falling? You've you've mentioned Adam Fox a few times, and I'm certainly aware that Adam Fox is the type of guy who's who given the lack of focus, given the fact that this other young defenseman on the avalanche is getting a lot of attention, is an opportunity. Um do you have some favorites or guys that you notice are going that way? Uh, that's number one. Um, I'm already probably forgetting number two. Number three, is it time to buy Connor McDavid or not? Because we're in the off season, but we just saw a major sale that Cup rookie card, which was what 288k. Is that what I saw? 288. 228, I think. Was it? Oh, maybe it was the double twos instead of the double eights. I don't know. Some somebody, somebody will check us. Yeah. Right. 
Um, let's stick with those for now. Are there okay? Are there yeah, there's a, there's a couple. Uh, I'll give you. I think Adam Fox is a great one, and my perspective on that is I'm really. I, I want to say this is a super well fleshed out theory yet, but just like I said with the McDavid, the cup card, how it's a ceiling raiser. I think Makar has been a ceiling raiser for the young defensemen to come in. I don't know how much, like, it's hard to say, like with Maritz Sider, how the value, how high that if the values would be as high if Makar didn't kind of break through. Yeah that ceiling for, I mean, obviously Cider had a great season and deserves accolades and, and the values that, and, and so cartel that, that makes me interested in Adam Fox, because I think just naturally it's going to, as McCarr goes higher, it's going to push his value. Did we, uh, did we, did we not see a moment when series two was released where Cider got himself past Caulfield, Segris? in that moment when it came out, I think he's, I think he's over a hundred dollars. I think he's more expensive than, than Caulfield and Zegers right now. I don't know if it maintained that way. I think they're all actually fairly close to one another, but that was pretty profound. Even the fact that they're close is crazy. Cause if you look at, if you look at, if you look at Victor Hedman's prices, Right. Like Victor Hedman's prices are, I mean, by all accounts, a bit of a joke. Like, do you know what I mean? Like if you, if yeah. you consider the fact that the guy's won two cups and has, I think two Norris trophies, if I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong. Someone again, if you want to check me, check me. Um, but at the very least, the guy's got accolades upon accolades. And, you know, I think his, his raw young gun probably goes for about, if I had to guesstimate between eight, uh, 80 and a hundred dollars. Well, it's, you know definitely, I mean? it's, it's definitely speaking to what Josh mentioned with the new incoming and a quote unquote exciting young D-man mm-hmm. that, you know, you've got the roster of rookies like Byfield, Caulfield, uh, Zegers, and here comes Moritz and he eclipses them in that sense. Yeah. So, so the other guy I'll give you, and this is more of a sleeper slash deep cut, and now I'm totally blowing my shot to make money here, but I just think it's a great example of maybe what people can look for is you mentioned, so we're doing this series of uh, going team by team every day through the off season. And we did the New Jersey devils a few days ago. And as part of doing my research for those, I'll look at, you know, all time scoring leaders, the current roster last year's performance and Jesper Bratt really stood out to me and that he led the team, I believe with 76 points last year and he's still 23 years old. And his young guns is about six dollars. Yeah. yeah, or less. Yeah, or, you know, or, or less. And it's like, you know, I don't. I'm not going to profess to be have. You know, I don't have enough knowledge about the NHL or prospects or to know what the likelihood that uh, that he'll repeat or grow from that level of performance. Yeah. But to me, it's just a good representative example of that's some. If you can find players like that, that that might be one to spend a little time researching and look at, you know, what the, pro, what the scouts say and what the, the writers in that market say about that player, because uh, it seems really undervalued right now, given his performance last year. Is, it, so young. Is, it, is it time to buy Connor or. I don't know that that's, a, that, that's a tough one. I, I, I think this is where I would maybe draw a distinction between the real high-end products that are going to be very limited and maybe the young guns, you know, to me, winning is the next hurdle for him. And like you said, you know, hockey doesn't have any ridiculously crazy population count cards, but his pop counts high enough where I think that, taking that next step next year will be really, really important. And it's going to, you know, so his value is going to really be dependent on how he plays and, and how the team does. They're, yeah, they're basically waiting for the off season. You know what I mean? And I think that Matthews is also in that position now where like people are just kind of like, okay, I know what you're going to do during the regular season. If you don't do, if you don't match that, like there will be a dip. Um, However, like in order for this to get the increase that like into the next tier, like we need to see, we need yeah, to see the cup is, Winning is the huge. cup is important. I think that had Ovi broken Gretzky's record 
again, we're assuming he's going yes, to for yes. a second. So let's follow that hypothesis and not won a cup. It, w- it wouldn't have had the impact it will having won. I agree. Yeah, for sure. Now, what about the opposite end? What about guys that you're surprised are holding and maintaining? I'm going to give you an example right off the top of my head. Shesterkin. There, there's no one fire sailing their Shesterkins. And I see the young gun maintaining good value, which, by the way, could potentially also, if you want to get a little deeper on that one, that was a young gun that was available in the SP Authentic Extended Young Gun series. Yeah, because yep. it came out of nowhere. Yeah. But that being said, are you seeing some guys or cards that are maintaining in this offseason thus far? Yeah, a little bit. He's a great example. You'd have Makar, who's, you know, at the top of the world yeah. right now. Yeah. Uh, th- those are, are two. Uh, I think Shesterkin is and Fox benefit from market. Market plays a huge role in the value of cards. It's hard to. And then you have Panarin, though. Yeah, well, yeah, that's a, honestly, I don't know the answer there. But in Cartel bringing up Shesterkin, it, it gave me another person that, in full disclosure, that probably the player I've been buying the most is. So Troy, my our co-host, is a uh, goalie coach. Nice. For one of the big Minnesota high schools, uh, Minnetonka. And he's looked a lot into Sorokin and has told me that from a technical perspective, Sorokin is just as good, if not better than Shesterkin. Yeah. It's just, he's on the, on an inferior team and, yeah. and you know, in both play and brand. Yeah. And so, and Shesterkin is, or I'm sorry, Sorokin is dirt cheap right now. Six, like six or six dollars right now, I think, man. Yeah, and you can get numbered cards yeah. and autos for really, really cheap. And so, I've been buying a lot of. You're definitely seeing some chatter about Sorokin on various feeds for sure. Yeah, and that's, that's just me trusting Troy. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that's as scientific as as uh, as that advice gets. We're gonna give you. Uh, the, the floor right now to tell our followers uh, what they can expect from Honky Card Gong Show and, and where the best place to contact you uh, or Troy would be, man. Yeah, so uh, our podcast is available on any podcast network, so Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to them. Uh, we're on most social media channels, but most active on Instagram at hockey underscore cards underscore gong show. And uh, you know, we'd love to hear from people. Uh, to me, the biggest surprise of all in getting really involved in the hockey card collecting community is how nice the people are. And I don't, I, I, I almost cringe when I say that because it seems so cliche and cheesy and, and stupid, but it's honestly true is, you know, the people in this hobby are super nice and they're willing to talk and engage, you know, like, like I said, we collected a bunch of other sports and you go on certain Facebook groups and a new collector comes in and in basketball and has a question about a card and you've got 25 people telling them how stupid they are. Yeah. yeah. That just yeah. doesn't happen as much. I, I think as at least that I've noticed in hockey. And so, um, you know, we're having a lot of fun and, you know, if we can be some small part, a tiny part of helping to grow the hockey card market, uh, I think that would make us feel real good. Amazing. Well, I want to thank you for coming through and uh, Cartel. You you very quickly and efficiently became a valued part uh, of my feed. So that sure is something in this day and age where there's so much clutter and there's so many things going on when you pop open your social media and your kiki talkies, Brandon. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah. (laughs) So uh, thank you for taking the time to talk to us, Josh. And, uh, you know, hopefully it'll make even more people aware uh, of yourself, ourselves, um, and that's always good. And it is a great community. Like you mentioned, it really is. Love it. All right, team. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Coach Cove out.